Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from the independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity, and more. This week I am very excited to welcome for the second time author and vogue columnist Raven Smith whose first book, Trivial Pursuits, was a Sunday Times bestseller. Today, he is here to talk to me about his second book, Raven Smith's Men, and we are gonna talk about all things masculinity and long-term love and consent, and I can't wait. Hi, thanks for having me for a second bite of the cherry. Yeah, you are the, you are the only person I, I am to come back second time. Honoured, <laughs> vaguely apprehensive. <laughs> Just when you said consent, and I was like, yeah, we're going in, aren't we? We're going in. We'll ease in. We'll, we'll ease, ease in, in slowly. Okay, good. Slowly. Um, to start with, why don't you tell me what drew you to this book and writing about masculinity in general? Yeah, okay. Where do we start? We start as many sad things start in the pandemic. <laughs> so week three of the pandemic, my first book came out. Uh, I was doing lots of this, ah, maybe having a, a good time online on my own uh, and sitting in my house really still with my thoughts and feelings. And I had this realization how much of my past is connected to men and masculinity. Uh, and this idea of just recording those my, those intersectional moments with men and me uh, what was the idea for the book. Mm -hmm. And I said to my husband, I want to write something that's funny and light, uh, but I can't stop thinking about boys. And he was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, so Raven Smith Men was born uh, as a kind of a recording of, of noticings. That is so pretentious. A, a recording of noticings of, of my life so far. Mm -hmm. And it has developed into a, a memoir of sorts. Uh, but it's not chronological and it's not trying to cover every, there's loads of gaps in my history that aren't there uh, but I, I, and lots of men that aren't there, but I just wanted to split the men up. I think I say in the book, like uh, uh, like uh, curds in a sauce mm. uh, and, and just try and taste each one separately. So that's what I tried to do. Uh, nice. but, but within that, obviously there was a bigger conversation about masculinity to be had at certain points. I think my fear was to be formulaic and be like, here's a man I know and this is what it says about masculinity. Here's another man I know and here's what it says about masculinity. So I tried to be, I tried not to be a pop psychologist. Yeah. I tried to be like, this is just what happened to me with this man. So how did you go about choosing what stories to include in the book? Was it kind of a process of going back through memories and thinking, okay, this taught me something or this illuminated something interesting about masculinity? There were certain men that had to be in there, father figures, actual fathers, uh, my dad, my stepdad my husband myself right now um there were i think it was just like oh i, I remember this so vividly and how this felt mm. uh, so and it was those were the main ones that i was trying to record um i'm just thinking about the guy that i is really important that i don't like and i just 
cut him out completely. <laughs> but that's another story. It's the kind of thing where if he still follows your career, he'll see that you've written a book called Raven Smith's Men. He's like, oh, I can't wait to see yeah. what you said about but me. And then all of the men who have asked me if they're in it aren't. And I and, and it's not uh, yeah because I, I not every man has taught me a lesson or made me feel something different from another man. Mm -hmm. So I think th th I've tried to pick men that typify a certain something. Yeah, that says a lot about men, though, doesn't it? They're like, oh, am I in it? Am I in it? But nearly, <laughs> nearly all of the ones that ask aren't. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's such an interesting time to be looking at kind of masculinity in general because. We've kind of got to this place where, well, we did a few years ago where toxic ma masculinity became mm. like a buzzword mm -hmm. and there was that massive Gillette advert that caused a huge furore online and it became a real conversation. Now I think the phrase is kind of meaningless. Mm. So where do you think we're at with that now? What do you think the phrase toxic masculinity even means? Do we even still need it? We're in a very strange time because basically words have been weaponized, you know, opinion has been weaponized. We've gamified our feelings <laughs> online. Uh, and I think we are all scoring points. You know, who has the hottest take and the most searing slap back, snap back. And then we are just playing that game online. Uh, that doesn't mean that masculinity is no longer toxic, but we, we are living in quite a toxic world. I think the thing is, you know, the reason I wrote about, the, about men is because I love them. I can see how layered and problematic and intricate being a man is and all of that impacts on how I try and be a man or just a person who is also a man in the world today and I think there are you have to just in, you have to just look at your own toxicity you know there's a lot to be said about the first into the foreword is basically I f can feel myself nearly wanting to apologize all the time for writing about men because women are the best thing in my life all the best people i know are women they look after me not because they nurture me but like the people that i trust i'm close to have supported me have watched my helped me in my career have helped me in my life who i who look after me are women but i'm just another gay man obsessed with men and i think i come from a time where whatever it took for me to come out and accept my sexuality. I have a very, at the time, had a very clear understanding of what a man is and my desire for what I understand a man is. Mm. And I think, I don't, I, I don't think the shape of the world is gonna stay like that for much longer. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be a fossil, of, a, a relic of my own time, despite being fairly woke and modern, to understand that younger people might, are not thinking along the same kind of like, I'm a man who likes men, I'm gay. That makes sense to me. Mm. That's whatever shame comes with that, I will process. I don't think they're, they're, that, that, that starting point is different for them now. Mm. I'm interested by what you said about the hot takes thing as well, because mm. obviously as you know, you are a columnist, it's kind of your job to come up with these oh, takes yeah. all the time and on Instagram <laughs> as well. And you know, your, your memes and your things are often shared widely mm. on social media. But do you feel this pressure then to like, constantly make social commentary about things that are happening in the world that are related to you in some way that people will come to you expecting some sort of commentary some sort of comment yeah. from you my husband i'll be like i've got this thing due tomorrow and he's like how far into it are you and i was like it doesn't that's not we don't start at the beginning and go to the end we that's not how i write you know yeah. and i think before my last book which i love like a a, a very uh 
badly behaved child <laughs> was much more stand uppy, much more pick a subject and give me and boom, boom, boom. Let's yeah. get let's have 21 liners on that subject. And I loved writing like that. But I did the thing that you're not meant to do when you write a book, which was I read my Amazon <laughs> commentary. Oh, I, read, I read the reviews and people found it dizzying. And I think the world before COVID was dizzying. It was 20, 20 thoughts a minute. And I think it typified that time and I'm proud of it. I am proud of that book. But this was a chance to be like, let me just talk about my dad for 3000 words and see where we go. Yeah. And it felt stronger to not hide behind R&B lyrics and little witticisms and to just be like, this is how it felt when he he left my life, yeah. basically. Well, this is this is what I said to you when you came in. Like, mm. it feels like a much more personal journey for you. Yeah. And I think that the way that you're talking about writing, that makes sense. And it's kind of the way that I approach it as well, because I think you know, you can't work out how you really feel about something until mm. you really explore it through writing. And sometimes it's just about getting those thoughts down and then you kind of realize what it is you're actually trying to say. Yeah. You know, and I think with this really personal stuff that you write about, that's the best approach because maybe it's stuff that you haven't even really explored. It's you know? one of those things you're driving and you're like writing and suddenly you can just see something in, coming in the rear view mirror. And you're like, oh, that's very close. Yeah. Okay, I feel it. Okay, I feel <laughs> it. Like suddenly it's with you rather than just like this nebulous thing that's yeah. happening. One of the things you write about that I really loved was the way you write about your marriage with your husband, Richard. Yes. And, and long-term love, because I think it's something that, you know, it does get talked about more and more about how, you know, it's not about it's it's not about staying in that honeymoon period mm. and it's about kind of adapting to this new way of life with someone who is you know not necessarily the most passionate human being in your life but more of a companion and it's about friendship and all of that stuff and yeah. I think what you say you have one line in the book where you say it's often about feeling tolerated rather than adored oh my god um I love I love that tell me tell me a bit uh. more about what you mean by that I just have a very big personality. <laughs> I can't help it. No kidding. <laughs> uh, it's very, um, I just, you know, my husband's incredibly patient. And yeah, I do. There's just something about, um, I think in that chapter, I'd written about Richard and marathon love and this idea that you're not sprinting in a relationship mm. after a long time, after a certain amount, whenever that time is, you stop sprinting and be like, duh, we're crazy, we're dizzy, we're doing all this silly stuff. And there's much more a, a calm settles and it's it's not boring, but it's boring and it's also very comforting. And I think I was scared about approaching the Richard chapter in this book because I felt like marathon love had really typified something bigger than our relationship that lots of people feel. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to what can I add? And I think it's just the idea of comfort. Um, I don't know. I've had a lot of a lot of my therapy sessions as I've become better known, and I know that that is like a tiny violin to have to be playing. <laughs> Getting oh, I get recognised when I go out. <laughs> but I think it it, it it something about people knowing you vicar living experience your life vicariously through your feed means that they the, the way that you're understood changes people think they know you in a different way and it's really fucking weird all the time and that's not again not a bad not the worst thing that can happen to a human and i think a lot of my therapy has been like i feel misunderstood so often in so many different situations and i think what i realized as writing this thing about richard and being like sometimes i feel tolerated rather than adored and why isn't he able to what like understand what i'm where i'm at it's like i don't know where i'm at most of the time 
And I think it was this realization that my expectation of him to like constantly be giving me a bespoke new angle at how I'm feeling was is kind of unreasonable. You sort of have to look after yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well we do. We kind of have that expectation from our partners to to fix us and to do everything yeah. for us because it's the easier option, isn't it, than having to look inward and yeah. be like, "Oh, actually, what is this problem in me that is causing that?" Yeah, and I think, you know, we might be talking about my dad a bit more in this conversation. <laughs> that might be connected to my relationship <laughs> with the other major man in my life. But I also think the more that we, I think um, there's just something so brilliant about writing about when I met my husband and just being like, this is this like tall guy with a big nose on the night bus. Is that on the night bus? <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Like this guy with a big nose on the night bus and flash forward and it's like you are responsible for my emotional ebb and flow my financial security my sense of self my sense of feeling safe and secure and able to express myself my desires my sexual needs like it's crazy to just think some guy on the bus is now like we're both like this, trying to keep the equilibrium of yeah. being in a relationship. How long have you guys been together for? How long ago? It, it was like 13 years ago that we got on years. the night bus. I mean, no one get, I mean I, I'm sure people do get the night bus, but it's like pre-Uber. There was no other way to get back to Dalston yeah, 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 yeah. from the, the Bali <laughs> Mall or wherever. And how long have you guys been married? Six years, like next week. Oh. Um, it's nice. <laughs> I mean, it is nice. It's awful and it's nice. There's something about being in a long-term relationship where you are so in love with someone, but you also hate them. Like, yeah. I can't explain how I can find find him so annoying and be so completely head over heels in love. And also, like I talk about in the book, when you've been with someone that long, they have all that stupid, shitty, nasty stuff you've ever said at your worst self. They have that in them. Sometimes it's right behind their eyes and you're like... Oh, I remember when I said that. It's horrible. Yeah, it's so horrible. <laughs> You're more exposed than anything. Yeah. And I think it taps back into what you were saying earlier about Instagram and having a profile that, mm. you know, it's so easy to project a different version of your life. Yeah. And I think we don't just do that on social media. We do that with people yeah. that we don't know that well. And you get into a big old, who am I all mm. the time? But I guess that's... That's why we have therapy. That's existentialism, <laughs> isn't it? Like. That's the crisis of, of existing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're in. <laughs> okay, I want to talk to you about daddy issues. Okay. So. Oh, I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> so I use the phrase daddy issues only because it's something that has been leveled at me many, many times okay. as someone who has divorced parents whose dad mm -hmm. left her when she was four. I'm mm -hmm. still in touch with him, but he lives in America, other side of the world, very much like abandonment issues kind yep. of situation. So I get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> get what <laughs> the phrase daddy issues is really only ever applied to women yeah i think um so i'm interested to hear you talking about it in the book and i wonder what it was like for you to explore that and can you share with us what your relationship is like with your dad i know you talk about your stepdad as well yeah uh let's start with my dad he doesn't live far away he lives 10 minutes walk from my house i probably I, well his birthday is christmas day so i text him once a year and father's day maybe we, he is a great guy. He is not a good dad. That is, uh, feels like the, the, just the easiest thing to say now. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I think right in, in writing about my dad, the first, uh, so when I was first wrote my book, my first book, here we go. Uh, <laughs> I wrote a piece for the, for the observer 
as press about my dad and race and this kind of mm -hmm. interlocking of like he said I wasn't black enough when I was like f five or six yeah, and it really yeah. fucked with my head obviously yeah um so we had this so, so that interlocking of like my identity as a as a young mixed race guy and a, and a young gay and all this all this stuff mixed up with that relationship with him and in this book I felt I wanted to further explore that relationship daddy issues is what you asked me I think what I noticed more was it was quite easy to write a chapter and talk about just give color on my dad's life mm. I found that interesting and I think there must have been a point where he was my hero but I don't I don't really remember and it, but he must have been my hero <laughs> uh, I remember thinking I mean I still think he's really cool I remember thinking he was very cool when I was a kid um, and I remember once I broke a, a broke like a a frame and he said to my mum that it wasn't me and I was like my dad is cool <laughs> very easy um but I think in writing about just actually it was more from writing about my I had this realization it's right at the end of the book the revelations of Raven Smith and I had just had this realization about how much of what I do is intended for the male gaze I just couldn't once I realized it I was like I am I, women are women are all these brilliant things for me, but I am searching for male attention constantly. <laughs> crazy. I know. You've never you've said something to me that my therapist has never said to me, and now I'm like, I shit. Me I, too. I couldn't. I was like, oh my god, it's so obvious. Yeah. I want them to notice me, yeah, even if it's yeah, like I'm well dressed yeah. or tall. They don't need to want to have sex with me. I just want them to notice me. And I re and 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 yeah and and so that realization was and I could just hear this voice going, "Daddy issues." <laughs> As I was writing it, I was like, "I'm, how can I? I have to just. I think my dad's. I think my dad's aura is approaching in the rearview mirror." And I could hear it in the typing of like, when I was a kid, my mum raised me, you know, single parent, only child. Uh, and it was like she had to take the brunt of all the shit of raising a kid and I go to my dad and just really want him to notice me yeah and I guess that is where we got to <laughs> as a conclusion so I read a, I read um a, like an Agni aunt column and uh the the reader was like I'm a lesbian but I can't stop trying to get validation from men and I was like that's my whole book <laughs> wait that's my book I'm a lesbian who can't stop getting attention from men it's just so funny <laughs> I'm not trying to seduce straight men yeah, but I am just, just like to... under the, the gaze is part of my yeah, 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 how yeah. I operate but I also think no there's no there's no uptick <laughs> I just realized it has um has he read the book is he going to read the book who knows the end no I mean uh my, I might like one of his kids, one of his other kids follows my Instagram for sure. Okay. So, and, sh and I posted a picture of me as a tiny baby with my parents and her. And he sent it to me in a WhatsApp, mm -hmm. like within like 20 minutes. So I know that he's following. Okay. The, so he might. The marvellous life of Raven Smith. <laughs> it is marvellous. It is, isn't it? It is very marvellous. No complaints, really. Uh, but so, yeah, I mean, who knows what he will say. Yeah. I didn't invite him to my wedding. Uh, it's one of those things that's just like, is this man instrumental in how I feel anymore? Not really. Am I angry or bitter? Not really. It's kind of like, 
He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. <laughs> and you have a wonderful relationship with your mom and your stepdad. Yeah, I mean, my stepdad is kind of magical in that he's a very traditional man who doesn't act very magical. But like, yeah, he's brilliant. And he's great to my mom. And there was, you know, I think the revelation at 14 when they met, the, the realization that my relationship with him wasn't dependent on him being with her was quite mm. a big one. And that, but it's been, you know, several thousand years since then <laughs> so yeah we're good yeah yeah um i want to ask you now this is a completely uh different subject yes men faking orgasms yeah you write about this in one of the essays <laughs> tell me <laughs> tell me why you wanted to write about this and and explain to the listeners what you what you say i don't know why i wanted to write about it i just think of it so so often and i was like i've got a i had this thing in the book uh, well, I have this thing. So in your like kind of, you know, from like when you start drinking well into your 20s, you kind of are collecting drink drinking tales. Mm -hmm, definitely. Lots of people do it. I reference some of them in the book. And there's this one tale. When I was 16, I met a guy in a disgusting sailory, fake sailory club in Newquay. We went out on the beach and I just, <laughs> I was ahead of my own curve in terms of my development. <laughs> Not that I'd never come, but like, I was so worried about, I talk about, what I say in the book is this porthole was opening to adult life. And I was like, I'm, this is too soon for me. Mm. So I just pretended to come in my pants. <laughs> I don't think men do that. Oh, I bottled it. Even now I'm like, Raven, it would have been fun. Even bad sex is better than what you did, Raven. <laughs> no, I love it. Because again, it's, I'm sure, I'm sure that, it, that that happens. Like, it's funny because obviously I'm like, oh, well, yes, women fake orgasms all the time. We need to talk about that because fuck the patriarchy and men yes. can't make us come and all that stuff. Yes. But if men are also faking orgasms, we should also be talking about that too. <laughs> sure. I just, I had actually a segment talking about fake orgasms after mine. And, I, and then I was like, I have I have no authority on this. What like I have not nothing to add apart from that sounds bad for everyone involved. <laughs> if women are doing that, that sounds really bad for everyone. But I, I was like, this is. I think I think I just changed it to like this is it. Like I can't be an authority on whether or not you should be faking orgasms just to have a quiet life. <laughs> no, but you you should be an authority on straight dating because you have some very good analysis of that in the book. Okay, good. That I want to ask you to read this passage. Yes. Here. I read it and I thought, my God, he's so right. Being straight okay. sucks. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> straight dating seems to involve infinite, exhausting calibrations of gender that lead you into the bedroom. It is a courtship dance, a copping off tango a trek to naked joy. It includes, but is not exclusive to, <clears throat> going out tops. Wait, <laughs> I sound like I hate straight people. <clears throat> it includes, but is not exclusive to, going out tops, jeans and proper shoes, shaved legs, Brazilian waxes, painting your mouth red and your eyelids blue, knowing which reds and blues go with your unpainted face. Clubs that serve drinks in plastic neon shot glasses. Groups of men who've been sheep dipped in cologne. Dancing, chat up lines, fish, fish bowls of punch, actual punch ups, the taste of lipstick, dry humping, bra clasps, the general horny humiliation of interhuman connection, performative blowjobs, 
asking if she's on the pill, facing each other when you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. But also, if your teenage early 20s aren't like that, you've, you're missing out. Yeah. They should be that. Like, I, I just have this, you know, there's this thing. I don't know how long I've been coming of age. Like, it feels like a really, like, since I was, I, I was a child and I've been coming, I'm still coming of age. I, I was keep trying to work out when I was finally circling the plug hole of youth and moved into being an adult. But that, I think these experiences feel so like, oh, you're trying on normal stuff to see if it fits. That's it. You're just like, when I was going out clubbing in baggy jeans, I was just trying to see what fit me. Mm. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I really like um, one of the things that you talk about as well as soft boys. Yes. Which I think is also a really interesting trope that I guess, do you think that that is kind of inextricably linked to heterosexuality because of the gender dynamics that it kind of plays on with men and women? And what do you think a soft boy, I guess let's start off by saying, what do you think a soft boy actually is? Ah. And how can you spot one? Oh, soft boys in the wild. Uh, a soft boy is a man who has realized that traditional masculinity is not going to get him laid. <laughs> That's really good. Bingo. That's really good. Right? Okay, okay, so how does that manifest? That manifests in a very kind of gen more gen more traditionally less traditionally male gentle way of uh sealing the deal. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The Smith lyrics I would assume are integral to that. Just giving more feeling. But it is again. Um, I would say I. I just. I. Uh, when when I think about like dating, when from when I was young, it was one. It was like chat up lines, right? Using like mm. throwing the ice on the floor, stamping on it. Now I've broken the ice. Can I buy you a drink? Get your coat. You've pulled whatever. I can't remember what else. I can't think of any other <laughs> dating chat up lines. Um, 
but I just think nowadays it's all it's we have these apps that have gamified mm-hmm. so much of our how we feel, right? Um, and I think dating apps have the, a similar in in the same way that um, when you're in Instagram for a bit, you start to want new stuff. Dating apps make you want to couple up, right? And so you start to learn what works in terms of interaction and getting more interaction and whatever further down the line. But you start to you, you gamify how you talk to people. Mm-hmm. It's really fucked up. Yeah, it's so fucked yeah, up. Yeah, people have gamified their bodies because yeah. of because uh, of you know grinder and you know it's all part of this like you will get further up the pyramid of this app Mm. if you play by the rules of it or if you fudge the rules in a way that gets makes it work even better for you yeah well that's what it is isn't it i think the whole software thing is all about it's a performance but ultimately it's all about manipulation yeah because it's all about thinking hey look i'm really sensitive and i'm really Mm. in you know it's like it's Timothy Chalamet in Lady Bird. Yeah. That's the, that, that's the character I always think of. But I have dated so many soft boys and yeah. are just like that. Yeah. And they kind of have this guise of being the guy that's not going to screw you over. Yeah. Which I think is different to a fuckboy. Because I think a fuckboy is just kind of out there being yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. Like, you, you just know that this yeah. guy is going to screw you over. But a soft boy is like the one who's like, or sweet and gentle yeah. and actually he's the one that hurts you the most because you weren't expecting it yeah who's that it's caleb guy is he called caleb oh yes yeah yeah, 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 yeah. west, west caleb. caleb honest to god every gay man is doing that on an app it's just literally how people operate he just mm. got he just people, like someone just joined the dots that he like several people he did it to yeah. were like oh he's just it's like that people just use the same shit all over the place mm. so going back to what i said before you don't think it's limited to straight men I don't, well, no, it's different for uh, gay men on apps. It's a very different game, I think, because, uh, do you know what? I I just know so many uh, gay, young gay men who are just jaded. They just seem so jaded from it. Like, it's not actually, I don't want to make judgments on people having free, easy sexual relationships and not having to put their whole heart into it or say it with their whole chest i totally get that but i also think we are doomed as a society let's go big <laughs> let's go macro we're doomed as a society if people don't care how mm. each other feel essentially but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have sex you have to be in love to have sex i'm not a pse teacher <laughs> like you could you would be a great yeah. PSE teacher. <laughs> i'm like you're all very jaded kids good luck <laughs> Human connection has died <laughs> since I was a boy. <laughs> Ooh. I want to ask you about rom-coms. Yes. You also write about this in the book and yeah. you say that you hate rom-coms. You don't like love stories. Yeah. And I get, I, I kind of get what you mean by that. But can you explain where that comes from? And I guess why the contemporary rom-com? Because I think you're talking about the kind of like how to lose a guy in 10 days yeah. stories. Yeah. See, I hate them. So I can only name like a few that I have watched willingly watched i've watched um the one my best friend's wedding yeah that's a rom-com mm-hmm. but she doesn't get the guy so it's actually quite quite an interesting one yeah uh what are the other rom-coms are like i've loved friends with benefits yeah that's a good one. <laughs> but i don't know if it actually is <laughs> no i think it is it is my friend was like this is rubbish and i was like no and then when harry met sally obviously well, that's forever. a great film yeah that's a great film. see but it's more than a rom-com yeah and my friend was like but you love you love 
there's rom-coms that you love Pretty Woman and I was like yeah I do mm. fuck I do uh, so what do more... I not like about rom-coms <laughs> though is there's something I don't like about romance and mm. not because it's so distinctly straight which it does feel very like roses and chocolates and flowers just kind of kind of give me the ick mm. it just feels so performative yeah me too but then yesterday my husband bought me like a little chocolate I wouldn't say chocolate cock, but it's a hen from Ladderay. And I was like, this is so cute. Like, this is so, I feel so like he thought of me while he was on his trip. So I'm now I'm a bit like, maybe I'd like some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave him a note. Maybe I'd like some flowers. But rom-coms, it's like this, it's so formulaic. It's like, they may, they have some weird, silly little cute, moments where they nearly get together but don't then they get together and I just and and every gay man in these films is a side character he is just there being like go girl wear that dress girl yeah I'll be your sassy friend for one moment goodbye <laughs> right finally I want to talk to you about one of the more difficult essays in the book yeah you too with a question mark <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess before we get into it I want to touch on one of the things that you say at the start of the chapter mm. where you write that being gay has its own sexual rules mm. once you're out the closet there's a feeling you're making up for lost time unshackled by expectations of straightness mm. the vanilla essence of heterosexuality there's an assumption you should be up for anything mm. how have you felt that pressure I guess and how has that kind of manifested in your life I feel regret that I didn't like harvest as many dicks as I could in my twink years. <laughs> like I feel like I should have come fucking ass first out the closet, but I didn't. I was still quite like, I'm cool. And that's kind of about, I'm, I'm gay and that's cool and everything. But I'm like a cool, I'm like a cool straight person who happens to sleep with men. Like that was, so for me, I feel some residual, I wish I had, Maybe this is projection, right? Maybe lots of people come out of the closet and don't sleep with loads of guys and have the time of their lives. Uh, but I feel like there's an idea that when you're gay and once you've come to terms with that, in some situations, it's seen as you, you, you are a prude if you say no to, 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 to any of those experiences that you're being offered. Mm. And that is really, I don't know, maybe, like I said, this coming of age thing, trying stuff on, you know, I, I feel like... We're going to get on to consent, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, well, because that's, that's the thing about it, isn't it? Because it's about, it's about blurring those lines of feeling like, okay, well, I should be out there trying all of these new experiences. But then because of that, what might then be the consequences, you go on to have all of these sort of, not necessarily non-consensual experiences, mm. but I think there's a difference between that and unwanted sexual experiences, yeah. isn't there? And it reminds me of like in um, Cat Person, I guess, like that is a story of, like, it's not just bad sex, it's kind of, it's unwanted sex. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's definitely happened to me several times. And it's very clear in my mind that that's not, not consensual. Yeah. But I didn't want it and I didn't feel comfortable, yeah. but I didn't say, I didn't yeah. voice that because I felt, un I didn't feel like I could. Yes. And learning to say no <laughs> is like, oh, that, and once you realise how you can do it, like there are 20 times I should have said it yeah before today yeah 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 but I wanted to write about one of those times I wanted yeah. to write about I think we all have this bit in our past and I don't know how we as a society move to the bit where we all com completely don't fuck up mm. so tell us about the essay for those who haven't read the book yeah um what what made you want to write it and just briefly can you explain what it's about I think when 
approaching when approaching this book, I wanted to uh, talk about the men I remembered, and I think I would it would have been remiss of me to have written a book that is like I love having nice sex with people that's hot and going out dancing and I'm happily married and I've got some great shirts. I wanted to be able to talk about the things that I wish had never happened, <laughs> essentially, or the things that I'm like, what the fuck happened there? Uh, and the, the U2 is this moment. It's really hard to put it into something succinct which is why it's a 3000 word essay basically because there is no hot take and i'm the i'm the king of hot takes <laughs> and i was like i don't i can't i can't tell you something easy about what happened mm. that night with that man mm. but i guess the thing that really struck out for me about it was that it was about you looking back and really questioning your own behavior mm -hmm. and his experience mm -hmm. of that night mm -hmm. which i think is something that we don't do very much when yeah. we think about these kind of complicated stories yeah. about where consent isn't necessarily completely clarified because yeah. very often it isn't you know very often it isn't very often it very isn't. often that's the fun of it that's why you're like this is fun well that's I why i wasn't expecting that exactly. and i loved it and that's why it's difficult because yeah. you know as easy as it is to turn around and say to someone okay yes i want to have sex with you or no i don't want to have sex with you in the moment yeah if you're drunk it's late at night it's worse if you're drunk yeah of course it is and very often it is drunk the yeah. first time you sleep with someone and so it's all of these factors come into play and i think the idea of actually going back through your own sexual history and wondering was that not only was that consensual for me but was what i did did, yeah. did they consent to that and i think that is such an interesting important conversation that hasn't really been included in the me too kind of conversations particularly when it comes to outside of men and women yeah two things about me too right the first one is it was very straight that's not a bad thing uh there's and then also it was only people that had been me tooed. They weren't, we didn't really hear from any men and there was a man in every single one of the fucking stories. So, uh, I, and I felt like, is, is this experience that I had? I thought to myself, how can I make this about me? <laughs> no, but is the experience I had a me too, a me too moment for that other person? Mm. And really trying to interrogate the, 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 the gray of it and just chew it over. Mm. And then the very clear black and white bit where I'm like, but this is very clear to me. This was very, this was very clear to me at the yeah. time, but this other bit wasn't. I think it's funny because obviously we need to hear from survivors. We need to hear from victims. But I think if we're actually going to make progress mm. as a society and move forward and yeah. stop these kind of things happening, we need to hear from the people who are being accused and yeah. not just, I'm sorry, I don't remember this person. And like, as it usually happens in yeah. a response, like I'm thinking, Chris North, you know, yeah. for example, with, with that big story, you then hear the statement afterwards. It's more about them having the realization and then hearing those stories because then it, I guarantee if we hear more of those stories, so many people would then think back to their own experiences yeah. and realize things. I think I, you know, I write a lot about non-consensual things that have happened to me mm. in my book. I guarantee you if I ever spoke to the men about them. Yeah they would, it would be the first time they ever thought about it that way. Yeah, or maybe not. Maybe maybe our lives are full of like, my, some, oh, I can't, 
it's really difficult because there are times when I am no, nothing more than my testosterone. I mean, it's really fucking shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I love that about my experience of being a man, but I also hate that about my experience of being a man. And I think there are times when it's like you're drinking. I was listening to a podcast the other day uh, and they were talking about this man was saying when you meet someone and you you're and you like you want to have sex with them and you're like going through this like dance it's not until after you come that you know if you really like that person or if you had to have sex <laughs> you don't actually know yeah well because your body is it's about your body it's not about your mind you yeah, know and you kind you of you, something you lose yourself and then maybe it's only afterwards when the reality sinks and you're like and you have centuries of <laughs> genetics mm -hmm. telling you that procreate yeah procreate yeah 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 Fucking biology, man. I am a sentient being. I am not my balls. Come on. So I don't want to boil it. But it's real, right? That biological stuff is real yeah. and it's can it's not scary, but it's real. And then there's this like, you are not you're not an ape. I'm not an ape. I'm a man. I I care about things and I care about people and I can have sex with people in a consensual way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, they're not, they shouldn't be different things. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of scary. It is scary. To, to be like, that night, my, whatever it was, got the better of my mind that should be mm. making better decisions for me. How do you feel about the book coming out? Because uh, like I said in the introduction, it is so much more personal mm. and so much more kind of exploratory on a kind of inward point of view from, from you. Yeah. Are you nervous about that? Are you excited? Are you intrigued to see what your followers make of it and the conversations you might have with them? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's all of the above. I think for me, what, what, what happens when you write a second book is that you have a different experience of like what will it be like when other people there's this i read this great thing which was like when you write a book you're you're, you're building a house um and you have the you have a plan of what the house is going to be like but as you're writing it you, floors appear sunlight appears somewhere like a skylight you an entire wing can open up that you didn't know was there while you're writing it when you publish it loads of people go into the house and they will tell you things that they can see in the house and you can't quite remember what it's like to live there anymore and i'm looking forward to like not being the me and my editor walking around the house being like well i guess that beam's staying up yeah, that yeah, beam yeah. stayed up um so i'm looking forward to that i think also i i was in crisis the whole of my first book how can anyone write a book? It is an impossible thing to do. How have people ever written books? This is insane. <laughs> and this new one, I was like, I've done it before. We, we're going there. Mm -hmm. And the only way I could do it properly was to tell the fucking truth as honest. Like, this is what happened. This is what I remember. This is how it felt again and again and again. And that felt good. And then about in that crisis in the middle, it's like the, fil the, the, <laughs> the reservoir tip yeah. at the bottom of the condom of my life, <laughs> of the book. But it was like, wait, I'm, I am telling people stuff I haven't told anybody else, right? You know, that U2 chapter I wrote in the dead of night, 3,000 words poured out of me and I didn't go back even close to it until legal were involved. And they were yeah. like, you're gonna have to do these line edits because the book's coming out in two months. And I was like, I don't, it's, it, it was a, 
it, I was the instigator, but it was trauma, right? But it was, I was heavily involved in my own trauma within that night. And I'm probably just as involved in reliving it, reliving it, rehashing it. Was, was, did he consent? Did he consent? Anyway, when this book, so in this crisis in the middle, I was like, oh, oh, can, to a few people, oh, would you, would you mind having a, a little look at my book and telling me if it's balanced, have yeah. I given too much or not enough? Is it funny? Is it too glib? Because I'm talking about very serious bits of like, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you give me some feedback? And, and then I was like, what I'm trying to do is get people to review my book before it comes out so that I can be prepared for the reviews. And I was like, the only way this book works is if it is completely what I want it to be and what I wanted to say, mm. and then fuck the rest. Like I couldn't keep yeah. being like, if I had changed it based on what those, what people garnering stuff, if it had then gone on, whatever it had gone on to do after that, it would have not, it can tank if it's me. I, I'm okay with that. I, could, I couldn't soften it or pleasantry it, whatever, in order to make it feel more accessible. I had to just be like, it has to just be me. Yeah. And then if it, sink or swim. But it, I couldn't keep trying to make it for other people. It just was becoming like, it was just halfway through when I was like, there's going to be other people in this pool with me. I'm just swimming in this like placid pool mm -hmm. myself. And I was like, there's, everyone's getting in. And that last chapter is like, I can't believe you're, you're all coming in here. <laughs> I can't believe you're walking around my house. But I think that's why it's so brilliant because you really sense that when you read it. And I think that vulnerability ultimately is, that's what makes you connect to people, mm. isn't it? And that's what readers will connect with and that's what will make it a very successful book. Yeah, and I think it's a success for me because it's, it, it is true. Yeah, exactly. These things happened. This is what I remember. This is how I felt. Like that, that for me is, is like the, the, the takeaway, the only takeaway I need. I'd love it to, you know, be taught at Harvard <laughs> but I mean doesn't everyone want that from their book <laughs> I'm speaking of lessons this is where I ask every guest to share something that they have learned from their previous relationship experiences yeah you've done this before but I know you have many lessons to share so please tell me another one that's so interesting because the conclusion of my book called everything I know about men mm. is fuck all <laughs> I'm like, what have I learned? But that is a lesson in and of itself, yeah. I guess, isn't it? That you're constantly learning, right? Yeah, I mean, when we pitched the book, my agent was like, the last chapter should be to like your future son and what, and telling him everything you've learned. And I was like, I haven't learned anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, like a nicer way to say that is I'm always learning and growing, but it's like, I can't tell you a better way to be a man. I can just tell you the, the different jigsaw pieces that have created the masterpiece that is Raven Smith. <laughs> but I also think uh, it would be remiss of me to try and tell people how to be. Yeah. It would be crazy. But uh, the truth is what I really learned from my book and rehashing old relationships and versions of myself from the past is that I have been a very happy, happy gay man for quite a long time. And that is something to just be like, okay, that's a good thing, you know, for, for all of the liberalness of modern times in our coastal mm. elitism, it's still a, you know, I have n no shame or residual anything about coming out and being a gay man. I've lived a life of extremely pleasant faggotry and I've, <laughs> I think that's something that definitely, I hope for people to see and be like, I can 
you can be a happy gay man. I mean, it sounds so 1940s. You can be a happy gay man, sir, son, <laughs> one of these days in the future. But it's like, you can just be happy and proud of who you are. And that's, yeah. that was what I, that, I'm reveling in the, that experience, the experiences that I've had. Mm. That's a great note to end on. That is sadly all we've got time for. But thank you so much, Raven. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Millennial Love, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are more of a visual person, you can now watch us live. <laughs> Not live, but you can now watch us on Independent TV. Uh, and you can comment and like and give us a rating so that more people find us. And keep up to date with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.